Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It is Super Tuesday here on the program. It is also American Independence Day. So happy 4th of July to you, wherever you may be celebrating. I know this holiday uh, days like this, especially a long weekend holiday, a lot of people are sampling the Bottom Line Show for the first time. Uh, if you're new to our broadcast, welcome aboard. I'm Roger Marsh, your tour guide. Um, tour guide uh taking you on a tour of the culture and the landscape sometimes i'm a lifeguard uh watching everybody swim around in the pool and trying to keep people from drowning but keep running their own spiritual race at least in the water and today here on the program we're going to share some of my reflections on american independence and why it's important to celebrate it but to do so in a biblical fashion we're also going to revisit a couple of conversations uh, that have been very poignant and meaningful to us over the years and the first one involves a dialogue that I had with a man by the name of Adam Davis. Adam Davis has a uh, rich spiritual history as a first responder and also uh, someone who is a defender of faith and freedom. He's the co-author of a book called On Spiritual Combat, 30 Missions for Victorious Warfare, a spiritual warfare guide for military members, law enforcement officers, first responders, and all sheepdogs. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And by the way, there's no one in the office today. We're pre-recorded. But if you do want a copy of this book, we do have one to give away. You can call our uh, customer line, uh, the ad line, uh, 227-ADDS, 800-227-ADDS. Or you can get through and leave a voicemail, I believe, on our main number, 800-227-5278. Now let's get into part one of my conversation with Adam Davis here on this 4th of July edition of The Bottom Line. One of the phrases that you hear more and more, it's more and more common these days than probably ever before, is first responders. And oftentimes we think of people who work in the military or maybe in law enforcement, but more and more there are people who are doing first responder type of work for a variety of different issues, whether it's uh, you know, racial tensions in the street or uh, the coronavirus and people working in hospitals too. And today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to talk about a brand new resource that I think is going to help a lot of people. It already is. Uh, co-written by Lieutenant Colonel Grossman and Adam Davis, rather. Uh, Adam is the author of Behind the Badge and the Bulletproof Marriage series. He's a sought-after speaker for the first responder and military crowd. But today here on The Bottom Line Show, we're going to talk about a book that, uh, uh, that Dave and Adam have written called On Spiritual Combat, 30 Missions for Victorious Warfare. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Adam Davis, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Hey, thank you so much for having me on, and uh, super grateful to have an opportunity to share with you folks. Well, let's talk about your background first, because we were getting ready yeah. to uh, go on the air here. You'd mentioned that uh, the, one of the nice things about where you are right now is that you're no longer in the day-to-day, -day, but God has really put you on a platform that says we're going to write for people who are doing that. What, what was your background prior to where you are right now? Yep, I'm a, I'm a former law enforcement officer where I served in uh, patrol and criminal investigations, traffic homicide, and I was a, a trained uh, hostage negotiator. Mm. And um, I actually have family that's still in law enforcement. And uh, I was there for, you know, for about six years. And uh, I had a I had a mighty encounter with uh, the love of God, and He pulled me out of a deep dark place, and so I had to replace that those bad habits I was doing with something good, right? And mm -hmm. so I began writing, and uh, so this that's what sort of set me on the journey more now. And honestly, I never saw it developing to this point. Um, it has really grown, and I'm really grateful uh, to be able to talk to police officers. Uh, deputies, all law enforcement from across the nation, being able to just have that relationship and be there to listen to them, pray with them, and uh, 
you know, sort of lock arms with them in, in a spiritual sense. I'll bet. And what the ministry that you're providing for them, Adam Davis, has got to be so valuable, especially now, because when we watch the headlines, if we were just to get our opinions of what's happening from current events and 30-second video sound bites and things like that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, not denying the reality that there are some rogue renegade cops. I mean, you and I both know that. But at the same time, the tendency in the culture, I think they call it the cancel culture, is to say, well, if you see a video like that, then all of a sudden it's, well, every cop is bad and I have to be, you know, I have to be on the lookout. What's it like for the police officers? What's it like for those who are on the front lines right now who are trying to not only fight for what is right and true and good, but also fight off the negative stereotypes that often get uh, foisted on them? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you're looking at, and, and and let me preface by saying this, it's not every single department, but I do think that there's a degree of, of concern for every officer. It may be more in different areas. I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it, uh, if you're a if you're a police officer in Atlanta, Georgia right now, where, a pol- you know, the officer who was uh, in the fight with a, a gentleman who was arrested for, or being arrested for DUIs, um, he was just charged with murder and 10 other charges. It's announced by the DA out of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a police officer with Atlanta and you see that he did everything by the book as far as the training's concerned from what we saw, um, you've got a higher level of concern. You've got a, a great deal of concern there. Um, you know, the DA obviously stacking charges on him. Um, they must know something that we haven't seen in the body cam video because that doesn't seem uh, proportionate to what he did there. And, uh, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of anxiety. I can't speak for every single police officer, but I know the ones I've talked to, there's a great deal of concern for their future, for their ability to do the job, to be effective in, in, uh, in, the, in the call that they've answered. And, and it, should, it should concern every single American, mm-hmm. um, you know. But at the same time, we've got to get to the point where, we don't just group people together and and label them just because of a group. It doesn't right. matter where they are and what group they are. Uh, we've got to get to some point to where individual accountability and individual responsibility is something that you know that we adhere to as a nation and not just yes. group people together uh, like this. This is this is absurd. Yeah, and when you get right down to it, I'm talking with Adam Davis today here on the bottom line, retired law enforcement and currently a, uh, a missionary to those who are literally first responders uh, working in military, law enforcement, and the like. The book is called On Spiritual Combat, 30 Missions for Victorious Warfare. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. As I often say on this program, Adam, uh, there are two groups of people in the world. There are friends of God and enemies of God. Other than that, That's right. you know, the other classifications really kind of muddy the water. And you are reaching out to the friends of God who are in these different, uh, you know, vocations, whether it's military, law enforcement, or whatever, and you've got these different missions. Talk about why, uh, (laughs) I'm chuckling only because you mentioned for such a time as this, it seems like God brought you into a place of healing through this writing and speaking ministry that you now have, but now it's so important. What kinds of words of encouragement are you giving to these men and women who are in the military and law enforcement and first responders that they need to hear? You've got 30 of them. Talk about the types of, uh, uh, the types of, uh, missions that you're talking about yep yeah so it, it begins with basic training and equipment where we we sort of bring uh to the forefront of our mind the armor of god that's talked about in ephesians by the apostle paul and you read about the armor of god and the different elements of that and one that's often not mentioned 
Uh, you talk about the helmet of salvation and the, you know, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness and all the others. But we often leave out the prayer part. So we talk about how to effectively mm. pray and, and sort of a strategy of prayer and recognizing the tactics of the enemy. And a lot of that you're seeing right now. I mean, this is going on right now. You're seeing it in, in our real world, in our, in our living world where we're at in the natural. You're seeing it. And, uh, this is essentially preparing and bringing to the forefront uh, the root cause of all evil that's going on in this world right now. We're, we're on the brink of something fantastic. We're on the door, or on the threshold of something absolutely fantastic. Otherwise, you wouldn't see uh, the evil that you're seeing at such a high level right now. Uh, and we are absolutely on the threshold of something beautiful. And I, 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 I can sense it. I can tell it's there. And uh, I think we just keep fighting for for the good, you know, fighting the good fight, and and keep the faith, and and something, you know, something big is about to happen. I'm I'm so grateful you said that because I think when we remember that the world will do everything. I mean, they call the enemy the deceiver for a reason. I mean, he can't right. undo the fact that Jesus Christ won the war and that that Christ was <laughs> on Calvary. I mean, that that's that's done. That that's that science is settled, as they would say. But the deception that comes in, and as you're describing it too, the people who are <clears throat> here to serve and protect are being portrayed as evil and, and awful, and some of the people who are doing evil, awful things are now being held up as paragons of virtue, and it's a very, very confusing time for a lot of people. Talk about how you are ministering to these, well, I'll say law enforcement, but also military yeah. too, people who are, they say, wait a minute, what we're doing here is to, we're, we're designed to uphold the law and to, to serve people and protect them, and yet we're kind of being painted with a lousy brush, especially for Christians. That's got to be a big challenge. You focus on what you can uh, control. You focus on the truth, and you keep the peace of God close, near and dear to your heart. Uh, I can tell you that there's nothing that compares to his peace in times of turmoil and crisis, times of chaos. There's nothing in this world that can touch what his peace will do for you. Uh, there's nothing, and, and, and there's nothing that can comfort you like the presence of God and like his love can. Amen. And when you have that peace and when you have that balance because of his presence and this peace and the strength of, of knowing that through the eternal lens, uh, we will always be undefeated because of him. Uh, you cannot be defeated because you are bought by the blood of Jesus. You're completely redeemed. Uh, and so that is the, that's the words of encouragement. So with that, with that knowledge, with that truth, you can now go forward and focus on what's in front of you, and you don't have to deal with the stuff that's outside of your control. You focus on what you can do, and that's to serve with excellence, to do your job and do, do your job well, and uh, walk in the trust and faith in Him. And one of the applications of this book, Adam Davis, I would imagine, is that for those of us who are not in military, who are not in law enforcement, we don't have to do that kind of battle, to understand that we are still in spiritual warfare. And many Absolutely. of the same principles you're talking about here for law enforcement and first responders are also going to apply to us, too. Absolutely. You know, and I think one of the, one of the greatest things that the, uh, the American church can do, and I say every church, every denomination, across the United States, one of the greatest things that we could do is call for a time in the fasting and prayer, uh, not only for our nation, but for our law enforcement. Um, you know, we, we desperately need to come together uh, as believers. A recent study from the Pew Research Center said 70.6% of Americans said that they were Christians. That's, if I'm doing my math right, that's over 200 million Americans are Christians. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, what what can we do in spiritual warfare 
if we take to fasting and praying until we see some changes, some major changes, and see some uh, enemies defeated. Uh, so, yes, I believe in that perspective. There's a lot of things that can apply to any believer who's willing to read it, take it up, and apply it. That's great counsel from Adam Davis today here on The Bottom Line. Co-author of the brand-new book called On Spiritual Combat, 30 Missions for Victorious Warfare. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a break, and as we continue, we're going to talk about what it means to actually stay in the fight because I realize there are a lot of people who are facing the stresses and challenges what we're seeing in the culture right now and saying, you know what, that's it. I'm out. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And yet, John 17 is clear. Jesus didn't pray to have us taken out of the world. He prayed for protection while we were still in the world. We'll talk about uh, some practical ways that we can remain in this spiritual battle with author Adam Davis in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Adam Davis is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Adam is the co-author of a brand new book called On Spiritual Combat, 30 Missions for Victorious Warfare. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Adam spent a number of years serving in law enforcement, and thank you for that service. And and now uh, the author of the book Behind the Badge and Bulletproof Marriage. And you actually, you're, you're blogging and you're sending out daily devotionals as well. Yeah, so Behind the Badge is, uh, is a 365-day devotion uh, that was published back May of 2018. And uh, it's, you know, imitation leather, great binding. You can put it in your, you know, your cargo pocket if you're wearing, you know, tactical pants and all that good stuff. You throw it in your bag. Uh, but it's written from a cop, uh, from a cop's heart to other cops. And uh, your, your folks out in, in L.A. and Sacramento and uh, out that way are some of the biggest fans of Behind the Badge and, and Bulletproof Marriage. And, and I think as time goes on with On Spiritual Combat, we'll see it true there. But certainly grateful uh, to see that law enforcement officers across America are taking this and using it, reading it before duty, reading it after duty, using it to sort of uh, recharge and refresh their uh, their spirits as they serve. I, I can imagine how valuable that is, especially as we talked about in the previous segment, when you see the media portrayals. And, and, and yeah. obviously, you know, we're calling it what it is. I mean, when you see things on video and you go, like, I can't really argue with that. But like you mentioned, too, the body cam, dash cam videos, hopefully will tell the full story and if they you know yeah. if those who are seeing those investigations see that but the idea that we in the church especially should be praying for our brothers and sisters who are in the military and in law enforcement on a regular basis i have to admit adam davis that i don't hear that a lot i mean i'm hearing this from you but i don't hear that from a lot of christians it's like well we need police reform or we need this or we need better training yeah. or something like that instead of saying hey how about taking a day to fast and pray for lo- local law enforcement so they would do their job yeah. in a god-honoring way <laughs> 
and it sounds like what your resourcing does helps them do that with Beyond the Badge. Yeah, it, it needs it needs to be at the forefront of the conversation, uh, you know, with pastors, with ministry leaders of every size and every platform across the nation. Uh, I'm telling you, if you neglect your law enforcement, if if you know if your community did not have them, and you didn't have good cops serving, uh, you would you'll know it when they're gone. You'll know it, and you want to honor them and and pray that God will move in their hearts and lives in a very powerful way, but also in the lives of uh, of criminals and mm-hmm. <laughs> in the hearts yeah, and lives right. of leader in the hearts and lives of, of leaders at every level across our nation. Uh, you know, there's we just we've got to get back to a place to where we're you know each individual takes a degree of personal responsibility for their actions instead of blaming it on somebody else mm-hmm. uh take mm-hmm. take responsibility for what you're doing and i think from from an outsider's perspective it would be it would it could spark a massive move of god if we were to come together as a nation set a day and say you know what uh in in 10 days we're taking and we're going to initiate this challenge where uh, every church across the nation, every congregant is going to take some time to fast and pray, uh, not only for the state of our nation, not only for the things going across, going on across the nation, but also for you know, leaders, our law enforcement, uh, and you know, for God to move and, and bring a, a, a sort of a sweeping move of healing across the nation, which is what we need right now. We need the enemy Amen. defeated. He needs to be crushed, and uh, we need the victorious and righteousness to rise. Mm-hmm. Amen. The great words of wisdom from Adam Davis today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about the book that he has co-authored, along with Colonel Dave Grossman. The book is called On Spiritual Combat, 30 Missions for Victorious Warfare. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You have a couple of different missions here, Adam, that I, I, I'm curious about because people who are looking for you know, victorious living, and then they see that one of your missions is training to be miserable. Uh, can you help us understand? Can you help us understand that one? It seems a little well, like a paradox there. It is. You know, we he never promised us a life of comfort. He just promised us the great comforter. Uh, this world is ruled by evil. We are just passing through as as Christians, as men and women who have been redeemed by by God and by His great love. We are just passing through. So you. You know, it's a mindset that nothing's going to break you. You're not defeated. You'll never be defeated. And as long as your faith is in Him with that eternal aspect and perspective, uh, it, you can, you're willing to be miserable. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. We're going to crucify the flesh. We're not going to make ourselves comfortable while our brothers and sisters are uh, falling by the wayside. We're going to fight for them. We're going to get in the fight. We're going to stay in the fight. And that may mean that you know, if if you're uh, if you're not necessarily in, in law enforcement directly, you've never been in the military, or you're not a firefighter, EMT, then your purpose is to get, you know to get up every day and, and spend a few minutes praying specifically for your area's law enforcement. Uh, we could start a movement across the nation if we had somebody from every state, every city across the country get on social media and start this and uh, pray for law enforcement, pray for blue. We could start a, a national movement of, uh, where we're going back to prayer and i think that that's that's where we have to be and prayer is uncomfortable especially when we're not praying and asking god for things for ourselves prayer is uncomfortable uh especially when we're praying for people that we don't like Mm -hmm. if we pray for people we don't like or people we don't want to forgive it can be uncomfortable so it's a mindset thing and i think as you dig into that that particular mission you'll uh 
you'll see some uh, some beautiful perspective. Yeah, boy, that, and that is great insight from Adam Davis today here on the bottom line. Uh, one of those missions that he talks about in his brand new book called On Spiritual Combat, Training to be Miserable. And I love that you said that, Adam, praying for people that you don't really like. I look at the what's happening within the police world and, you know, the, the, the high-profile cases that are out there right now, and I'm sure there are people yeah. who are saying, okay, well, I'll pray for the victims, but I'm not praying for the cops because those guys are bad. Or I'm praying for the cops, but those victims are all criminals. Instead of saying, hey, wait yeah. a minute, children of God, men and women created the image of God, shouldn't we be praying for everyone's heart? To return to the Lord, yeah. as opposed especially, to saying, especially those you don't like. Yeah, exactly. uh, love is and, love is easy when it's reciprocated at an equal <laughs> yes. or greater level. Yes, uh, yes. But when when love is met with resistance, uh, that's when it really becomes love. I was in a talking on an interview last week, and uh, I said, you know, the easiest thing about love is that it's only four letters and it's pretty easy to spell. Everything after that requires hard work. <laughs> um, you know, and, and if we're if yeah. we're willing to do the hard things, I was in a bookstore. Uh, a couple of years back, and uh, walking up and down uh, the Christian living section, there was a gentleman there looking for a book, a really short story here. And uh, I suggested Behind the Badge. I was shameless author plug, right? I'm, uh, hey, check this out. You may get something out of it. And his whole demeanor changed. He was looking for a devotion, want to build his faith. And he turned out and he says, I hate cops. Use some you know, animated language. I hate cops. Uh, and gave me some reasons why. And then I said, uh, you know, why don't you take this and instead of hating cops, whether you get this or just read the Bible or any of the other books, instead of hating them, pray for them every day. And then he just broke down. He said, I've never thought about that. Mm-hmm. And he said, instead of hating them, I should pray for them every day. Because what does his word tell us to do? You know, those that have done you wrong, what, we should, what should we do for them? We should bless them. We should pray for them. And that's what we have to get back to. The church has got to rise. This is a, this is a, a, a momentous time for the church in America to rise up to the occasion and lead the way and lead the conversation for healing in every in every part of this country. Adam, I got one more question for you here as we wrap up our conversation today, and uh, maybe a, a little uh, more serious note. I mean, that what you just said was very profound and certainly uh, did not lack depth. But one of the things that you write about in your book on spiritual combat: thirty missions for victorious warfare. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com is wondering how many people are trying to fight this battle and not resting in the Lord while they do it. Like they feel like I have to do something or my congressman has to do something. Yeah. Or, you know, somebody, has, yeah. somebody has to do something with this issue instead of saying, hey, you call this an epidemic of sleep deprivation. Talk about that. Yeah, uh, we, you talk about sleep deprivation, and it's one of the leading causes of uh, uh, different disorders when you get down to uh, – you talk about suicide in law enforcement, which is, you know, largely ignored. Uh, there's a few organizations fighting to bring awareness to that. Uh, a lot of times those are sort of you lead up to that with a lot of sleep deprivation. It leads to a number of other issues in your body. Uh, when you have the sleep, there's a lot of health benefits to that. It allows your body to heal. It gives your, t- your mind time to heal, your spirit time to heal. And if we are willing to, to acknowledge the fact uh, if you you got to just read the book, read the chapter. Uh, sleep deprivation is is a major major problem in America, uh, and it's not easy for me, and it's not easy for, for others. Uh, okay. But you have to be able to recognize the signs and, and the causes of that, and look at the benefits of that. And, and I challenge you how it would how it will help you find tremendous healing there. And it's just one of the many factors that that sort of make you a better spiritual warrior. 
uh, make you more effective in the in the battle uh, that he's called us to. I love that. That's great wisdom and a great counsel from Adam Davis today here on The Bottom Line, the co-author of the brand new book called On Spiritual Combat, 30 Missions for Victorious Warfare. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Adam, where do we find you on social media again? Uh, you can find me on Facebook, the uh, official Adam Davis, or on Instagram, Adam Davis Official. Okay, and your website for Beyond the Badge? Yep, uh, my website is theadamdavis.com. Uh, okay. Some people across the country call it the, T-H-E, adamdavis.com. <laughs> but down here in Alabama, we say theadamdavis.com. The. Well, and that's what we, we are, thebottomlineshow.com, so I know exactly what you're talking about there. Adam, thank you for your work. Thank you for this book, and thanks oh, for the my time. Goodness, thank I really, you. really appreciated the conversation. I know it's going to help a lot of people, but thanks for being with me today here on the program. Thank you so much. And that concludes my conversation with Adam Davis today here on The Bottom Line. The book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And as I mentioned earlier, we do have a copy of the book available if you would like to get it. We're not selling them. We are giving them away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line Show. We also have a voicemail as well because of a holiday schedule here. So I encourage you to call and uh leave a message there. Some final thoughts in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this American Independence Day edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to Adam Davis for being a part of the broadcast today uh, and discussing his uh, uh, outstanding book that he co-authored with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman. The book is called On Spiritual Combat, 30 Missions for Victorious Warfare. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. On the other side of this break, we're going to get into a conversation about the 4th of July, American Independence Day. Why it's important to celebrate it, but why it's important for us as Christians to celebrate it in a way that's God-honoring and biblical. You're going to hear my reflections. We'll do a little analysis, balance, and clarity on the 4th of July on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues in just a moment. You've been in an accident, and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own, and by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often, even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today. Well, welcome to another edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Happy Independence Day. Happy Fourth of July. Happy whatever you call it. Uh, I'm going to start right out of the shoot here. I mean, I hope you're having a good time spending time with family and friends, wherever you might be, if you get a chance to uh, enjoy some fireworks or maybe a parade. I know that I think Santa Monica is still doing their dawn's early lights, which I thought was a brilliant idea when they first launched that all those many years ago. So many people would go out and want to see fireworks at the beach and they were illegal and and uh, it, it got, people had been drinking all day after being in the sun all day. And so eventually they wound up, uh, you know, having 
uh, someone said, why don't we do it at the, in, in the morning, you know, like 5 a.m. or something like that before the sun comes up. Perfect idea. And now it's still very popular. I mean, so many different ways, so many creative ways to celebrate uh, American independence. And it really is wonderful, you know, to have those opportunities uh, to do just that, to celebrate independence. But I think the key for us as Christians in celebrating the uh, 4th of July is to do so from the lens of Scripture. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I was born in Whittier, California, September 1st, 1961. That's You can find that anywhere online. Uh, I was born, ironically, I was born in the same hospital as uh, Oz Fox from Striper. Uh, Oz and the Sweet Brothers were from the Whittier La Mirada area. We were all born at East Whittier Presbyterian Hospital. And interestingly enough, Oz was born on my dad's birthday that year. So my dad and Oz Fox have the same birthday, so they'll be celebrating Father's Day and birthdays together this year. Uh, interestingly enough, also, uh, you know who else was born at East Whittier Presbyterian Hospital? Uh, she's smiling at me right now on the other side of the control room. My producer, Tamara Camiro. Uh, that was one of the one of the aha moments. She and her husband, uh, Javier, were living in Whittier, and we started talking about the Whittier connection, and she said, I was born in that hospital. I said, really? I was born in that hospital, too. My brother and my sister and my producer and I were all born in the same hospital. Go figure. Uh, th- that has nothing to do with Fourth of July, but I just I thought I would share that with you anyway. Um and for those listening on KLTT, KLDC, that's Whittier, California. Right. Uh, when I was seven, in January of 1969, uh, my dad had accepted a position with the Orange County Department of Education. And so we sold our home in Whittier. We bought a home in, uh, uh, in, in Orange County. It was the wettest winter in California in the century. And so the building got delayed. And so we, had to, we sold our other house. And we had to move in with my grandmother for a couple of months, which was kind of a trip. And then, because, um, you know, it was fun to go to grandma's house to spend the night, right? But it wasn't go- fun to go to grandma's house and then my sister and brother would be all jammed into my mom's old bedroom when we were younger. Uh, it was, it was kind of crazy. But it was fun. We were there for all of, uh, I think, from Thanksgiving till about the end of January. And my sister and I used to ride to school with my dad early every morning. And it was a new school. It was kind of a trip. And then we had to wait till dad was done from work. And that was kind of a trip, especially since the school was like two blocks from our new house. But we didn't get a chance to, you know, move in until we finally did. And, and it was fun. And I remember 4th of Julys. I remember block parties. I remember fireworks. I remember watermelon and ribs. And did I say fireworks? Lots of fireworks. I remember one year in Whittier, we, had, we used to go to the fireworks stand back when you could buy fireworks. And you could, um, you know, you get the big old, whatever they were, boxes of fireworks. And one year we decided, <laughs> one of the families, we were at their backyard. Uh, my friend Anthony had two older brothers, Chris and John. They were in high school. And uh, it was kind of a fun family, too, because the Mitzkuses were told they weren't able to have kids. So being a good Catholic family, they adopted a couple of boys. And then they got pregnant with my friend Anthony. And then they got pregnant with another one. And then they adopted. So they had five kids. None of them looked alike. It was kind of great. Well, Tony and, Mar- and Monica did. But anyway, and so we were in the backyard, and we, my, my mom used to do homemade ice cream. Did you ever do that? Homemade ice cream you know, with the rock salt and all that stuff, and crank and crank and crank all day. And it never tasted like the stuff in the store. But then we, uh, it was time to light fireworks. So we always started with a few sparklers. The kids kind of warmed things up and maybe get the little snakes out and stuff like that. Well, we set up everything. We were going to do a little display of the fireworks. And for whatever reason, there were three or four families in the back. We all purchased those big boxes. And they set the first couple of 
cones that were supposed to go off a little too close to the fireworks. And within about three minutes, every single firework went off. It was the shortest, most anticlimactic 4th of July I ever was part of. And it was kind of a bummer. But, you know, then you get older and you start going to fireworks shows at stadiums and watching baseball games. Remember my daughter Emily was 18 months old. Her first ever baseball game was uh, Angels on 4th of July. And that was a ton of fun. But what was interesting about this is I went through a phase personally where it was 4th of July for a lot of people and then it was Independence Day. And I was pretty adamant about that. I was that guy. You know, people say, happy 4th of July. What are you doing for the 4th? I said, well, Independence Day, this is what I'm doing, you know. And I realized I was kind of, maybe I was a little obnoxious about it even. And and that was, you know, kind of, it was, it was interesting because I didn't understand why people spent so much time focusing on the 4th of July. You know, I, I remember the great English theologian, Stuart Briscoe, who was asked one time, uh, if they celebrated 4th of July in England, his response was no, because of what you Yanks did to us, we'd go straight from the 3rd to the 5th. And he was kidding, of course. I mean, the 4th of July is just a day on the calendar for most people. But for, you know, we Americans, we take the 4th of July very, very seriously. And so my reflection on the 4th of July changed dramatically as I got into my 50s. And I don't know what the exact moment was, but... I remember as uh, I was married previously to the mother of my children, and then that marriage ended. Um, and I've shared with this shared this with you on the program before, but if you're hearing it for the first time, uh, my first wife had a, a, a problem with alcohol. She developed an addiction, and it led her to end our marriage. And she eventually wound up, uh, uh, I think, being delivered from the pain that the alcohol did to her body um, on the 3rd of August in 2021. And so once I was a single guy again, I mean, I was still negotiating that stuff when we started the Bottom Line Show. And I remember talking to Mr. Crawford about it and station management. They said, you know, don't worry about it. Lots of people have been through it. And we certainly aren't going to hold it against you, which I appreciated. So as I started dating, I started dating uh, again and I'm dating women from, you know, all different backgrounds. And my current wife, Lisa, I mean, my only wife, she's the only wife I'm going to have. My wife, Lisa, and I got married on New Year's Eve 2019. And if you've seen our wedding pictures or anything on social media, you know that Lisa's, uh, Lisa's from a black community and I'm from white community. And she's from L.A. and I'm from Orange County. And we kind of have that difference. But I remember the first year we were together and we were talking about what we we're going to do on 4th of July. And she said, well, you know, we're going to go watch fireworks and, you know, whatever. And I said, oh, well, you know, it's really we're going to there's a parade. and There's a big civic thing in Laguna Hills and we're going to go. And she goes, well, I don't really get into it for all that stuff. And I said, why? And she goes, well, what do you why do you think? And we started a really nice long conversation about why some people celebrate the 4th of July as American Independence Day and other people don't. And it was a very helpful conversation. It really helped me kind of start thinking differently, not to say that I don't believe in American exceptionalism. I absolutely do. But to better understand how we as Christians could be better missionaries in this culture. And here's what I mean by that. If you've ever gone on a mission trip, you know what it's like. My first mission trip was to Mexico. Pretty, you know, short hop, pretty safe trip. I know people who've gone to Russia. People have gone to Afghanistan. People have gone to Papua New Guinea. They've gone all over the place. When you are um, acting as a missionary, what's the first thing you do? Well, you want to learn the language, right? You want to, you want to figure out the customs. You want to, I, friends who worked for Wycliffe Bible Translators, and they said it used to take them years to go into a place where indigenous people were there 
who did not have a written language, who spoke and used pictures to communicate, and you're trying to translate the Bible into their unwritten language. So what do you do? Well, you go and live with the people and you learn the customs and you know, you've got a, an arsenal of material in English that you know and you're ready to show. And it's kind of from an American perspective and if they would just follow along with what you're doing, everything will be fine. But I begin to get the sense that there are people who are very much loving living in America, who really do want to see the American experiment succeed, but their frame of reference is completely different than some other folks. Whether you come from a Hispanic ethnic background or uh, you're an immigrant or, you know, know, people look at the American experience differently. So I want to take a quick break and when we come back to take just a, a, a brief moment to see why it is that so many people have a hard time coming together on this and then begin to take a look at the one thing. Now, I know you're saying, well, it's got to be Jesus, right? I mean, this, that's the Sunday school answer to everything. The answer to every problem is Jesus. Well, yes and no in this case. What would truly make America a great nation? Not great again, but a great nation. I think the guy who coined that make America great phrase was actually onto something. And I want to expand upon that on the other side of this break because the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to this 4th of July celebration day here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. The day we celebrate American independence And taking a look at the one common denominator that I think would bring America back in line or would actually put America in line, I don't know that we've ever actually been in line before with regard to the foundation of the nation and why it's so wonderful. If you talk to anybody who's a constitutional scholar, they'll tell you, well, what sets us apart is our constitution. I mean, the the set of laws uh, acknowledging in the Declaration of Independence that the laws are given by God and not by the government was a huge step. Absolutely it was. But take a look at what happened in the United States from July 4th, 1776 to whatever day it was in 1789, I believe. When they, well, 1787, they ratified the Constitution. We had our first presidential election in early 1789. In that 11-year span between 1776 and 1787, 20% of the population was basically disqualified from enjoying all of the rights and privileges and liberties that we said God gave us in the Declaration of Independence. I'm talking about slavery, of course. The people who could vote in this free country, 
This was this was a real head turn. Even more so than 20% of the population were not considered to be free people in the life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, land of the free, home of the brave, United States of America. That in and of itself should send most of us who never had to experience that or had relatives who never had to experience that, being slavery, to take a step back and say, wow, I had no idea and I really didn't realize how my flag-waving, apple pie-eating, hot dog-waving American idealism was offensive to you. But then when you consider that the percentage of Americans that were excluded from voting in our free democratic constitutional republic was 94%, now you begin to say, wait a minute. I mean, what happened to land of the free and home of the brave and make your own way and American exceptionalism and individualism and only 6% of American citizens actually qualified to vote in the first election? Man, we've come a long way, baby, indeed. The women's suffrage movement, obviously the, uh, the, the issue with slavery, of course, and the 13th and 14th Amendments and the idea that uh, and then the segregational laws that had to be busted up by the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act of 64 and 65, I believe. And, and, and if you could imagine, I've never gone to the polls and had anyone asked me the specific hour, minute, and second that I was born. But evidently, that used to be part of the deal. Exactly what city were you born in? You could say, well, I was born in L.A. No, you weren't. I was born in Whittier. Well, actually, you know that hospital, they say it's East Whittier Hospital, but it's actually closer to Pico Rivera, so you can't vote. I mean, those types of technicalities were foisted upon Americans as recently as 50, 60 years ago. So I'm very mindful now of the number of people who say, hey, look, 4th of July may be a big holiday for you. I know it's American Independence Day, but I think it, there's a bit more grace, a bit more gravitas, if you will, to the population on the whole to say happy 4th of July. Because there are people who will celebrate the party of the 4th of July, but they still will remember the past of American Independence Day and how the Declaration of Independence kind of turned out to be a bit of gaslighting for 20% of the population. And it doesn't mean that we haven't made tremendous strides in those areas. We have. And there are those who seek to profit from trying to hold people back into old styles of thinking. And I get that. I understand that as well. But here's the thing that makes America really work. And this is, above all else, what makes, I I think, us the exception rather than the rule. If you watch the movie Harriet, about uh, uh, Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad, it came out, what, four or five years ago. It's, an, it's a good movie. It's an informative movie. I w- neither one of Lisa and I cared for the acting in it per se. It was kind of hollow. But when you think about that movie, there's a, the open, one of the opening scenes in the movie is a preacher who's preaching out of what we would now refer to as a slave Bible. And that's a Bible that has a lot of verses taken out about life and liberty and verses where you could easily misconstrue that someone who's a slave is not supposed to try to run away from their master in the same way that Paul talked about people who were pretty much indentured servants. They weren't necessarily sold into slavery. They kind of gave themselves up for slavery. But to try somehow to use the Bible to condone that slavery was a good thing and God really wanted that for them to be whipped and beaten and raped and sold and that type of thing. And I think the thing that over the years has set America apart from other nations is the commitment to religious liberty. Religious liberty, the freedom to worship, the freedom to express your religious faith, 
as you deem fit. Now, even with the crackpot religions that are out there that really aren't benefiting any of society, just you know, kind of humoring themselves, but the idea that you see a massive number of Muslim refugees coming from Middle Eastern countries, coming to places like Irvine and Beverly Hills for the express purpose of practicing Islam in a peaceful way. Now, from what I understand of the Quran, I don't fully understand how you can practice Islam in a peaceful way. That whole death to the infidel thing kind of implies that anyone who is a true devout Muslim has to basically kill anybody who is not. But nonetheless, because of religious liberty here in the U.S., we do have a separation of church and state, though there are some attorneys, some good Christian attorneys, who would say, yes, but this is a Christian nation because we believe that all of our laws and rules and everything were given to us by God. Well, yeah, that's what the Declaration of Independence says. But the Constitution, slightly different story. We had 12 amendments to the Constitution before we finally addressed the fact that for the first 80 years of the United States, 90 years, men and women, people, could be sold. I mean, <laughs> not now, but I mean, it still doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But this was the thing I think that has got to haunt progressives who let Donald Trump live rent-free in their head. The fact that when he demonstrated leadership in foreign policy on from the U.S. vantage point. It always had religious liberty top of mind. It's how can Israel be as Jewish as they want to be? How can Yazidis, who are every bit as Muslim as Islamists, practice their more docile, uh, pa pacifistic, if you will, version of being Muslim? There's no one-size-fits-all, and it is self-determined. God's speaking to you. This is what he tells you to do. And no one's forcing anybody to be part of a religious group. See, religious liberty says you can be as Christian as you want to be or as atheist as you want to be. That's why I find it rather interesting that so many people in the atheist and humanist crowd are lawyering up, as they say on the cop shows, and trying to keep religious people from being Christian or Catholic or Muslim or whatever. Because, wait a minute, religious liberty means if you're Jewish, be Jewish. If you're atheist, be atheist. We're not going to tell the atheists what they have to do, but they're not going to tell the Jews or Christians what they're going to do. See, religious liberty is the great equalizer. And religious liberty gives you the opportunity to express your faith, not just freedom of worship, but freedom of religion. I'm going to take a quick break and show you what freedom of religion looks like. And you have to wonder, with so many people during the Jesus movement who came to faith in Christ because of long-haired hippies and tent meetings and Chuck Smith and Greg Laurie and Billy Graham, why today something as simple as young people willingly being submerged into water and coming up out with big smiles on their faces saying, praise God, it seemed as so not only offensive but dangerous by the left. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this 4th of July version of the bottom line show. I'm Roger Marsh and hope you're having a great Independence Day celebration. Notice I used both. I realize there are a lot of patriotic Americans who say this is Independence Day because even though it was first drafted on July 2nd, 1776, the Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4th, 1776. And there are people who are saying, wait, okay, well, that's American Independence Day, but why do we need the Juneteenth holiday, for example? I mean, is that like the Black Independence Day? Well, 
I'll be honest with you. June 19th, 1865 is the day that reportedly, uh, according to tradition, I don't know if they were actually the last slaves to hear this news or not, but it's widely recognized as the slaves in Texas were read the Emancipation Proclamation and heard that the war was over and that they had been set free. Now, they'd actually been set free two and a half years earlier, but they still lived as slaves for the next two and a half years because no one told them they were free. How many people do you know in this life right now are living as slaves to sin, not knowing that because of the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, they could have that freedom as well? But no one told them. See, that's why our job as Christians is not to go to weed out all the bad stuff in the culture, but rather to go and sow seeds of the gospel knowing that statistically, if you look at Jesus talking about the parable of the seed and the sower, that 25% of the seed that is sown is actually going to take root and bear a crop 100 times, 60 times, and 30 times greater than what was planted. And the rest of it is either going to fall on the rocks and get choked out, or it's going to fall on the weeds, it's going to fall on the road, and the birds are going to eat it. In other words, don't think that every time you share Christ with someone, they're going to come to faith. God tells us about one out of every four seeds that are sown is actually going to lead to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. But because I think the thing that we can celebrate universally here in the United States on the 4th of July or Independence Day is certainly, and probably Independence Day more important than Constitution Day. But Juneteenth goes hand in glove with July 4th. July 4th, the entire nation said, we're signing this declaration and declaring our independence from England. But it was on June 19th, 1865, that every American was now free and protected under the United States Constitution. And it took another 100 years to get rid of the segregationist laws that tried to keep people that way. So what can we look to as a cause for celebration here on this Independence Day 2023 that helps us to know that God is still on the move in the redemption business. He's redeeming his culture. The work that Jesus set into place on the cross was not only the redeeming of the lost souls, but also the restoration of all of creation. 50 years ago, there was a huge awakening called the Jesus Movement. And hundreds of thousands, if not millions of young people came to faith in Christ. There's a place in Southern California, if you're outside the area, perhaps you've heard about it. It's called Pirate's Cove. It's in Crota Del Mar, I believe. It's in between Newport and CDM. And that's the place where Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel used to baptize believers, or new believers anyway. If you saw the movie Jesus Revolution, you know what I'm talking about. Well, a church called Ocean's Church organized an event called Baptize SoCal. They wanted to have the largest baptismal, basically largest water baptismal in history. So over the course of the past several months, more than 280 churches promoted this event. 8,000 people showed up to the event, and the final count of the number of people who went into the water were submerged for baptism and came up out of the water, 4,166. It was, in fact, the largest one-time baptism in history, recorded anyway, for that many people. Remember, the baptism of fire at Pentecost was 3,000. And proportionately, that one was a little more significant, not only because of the writing of the book of Acts, but because of the world population at that time. But we're going to put this video up, courtesy of our friends at CBN, and showing the thousands of people at Pirate's Cove 
and all of the folks who are uh, who are just enjoying and sharing the good news of the gospel. See, this is the thing. Whether you are a slave because you're indentured in servitude to your boss, maybe you're working off some debts. There are people who are being trafficked right now, and some of those people are coming to faith in Christ. I saw a video over the weekend of about 50 guys who were lifers. They were in 25 to life conditions in prison for whatever crimes they had committed they didn't specify and these guys were singing and dancing and praising the lord they know they're never getting out of prison short of a miracle and yet their faith in christ is so strong they live with hope that they share the good news with other inmates they share the good news with the gospel with the uh, guards with the with anybody who come they come in contact with it's amazing how god will infiltrate the hearts and souls of people in different walks of life and use different circumstances. It might be financial hardship, medical challenges, or it might be just an extreme blessing on God's part to our lives that we don't deserve and we just run around telling everybody, look, come and see what God has done for me. But as we celebrate American independence from England, it's important that we also recognize that the only way to truly be free from sin and death and eternal torment is to declare our dependence on God. So happy American Independence Day and happy you're a new believer in Christ and you're dependent upon him day as well. That's good news and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Rabbi Schneider discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. What is going to follow is something that you'll want to hear on Bottom Line Show Extra tonight at 7 on KCBC, so be listening for that. On the other side of this break, we're going to revisit a conversation I had with a Vietnam veteran who has a fascinating story of battling PTSD and battling his own faith, uh, the late Gary Bykirk. Uh, Gary uh, and I had a conversation back in 2020, and uh, he went home to be with the Lord about a year after we had the conversation. So I think that today is an appropriate day for us to revisit that discussion. We'll do so on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Well, welcome to this 4th of July edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Today is the 4th of July. Hope you're enjoying the day. Hope you're enjoying the program here as well. Uh, we do a little retrospective here on the 4th of July every year. And this year, a somewhat poignant and bittersweet uh, reflection. Uh, featuring a guy that we met uh, several years ago by the name of Gary Bykirk, a uh, Vietnam veteran, a great man of faith. Um, when I recorded this conversation with Gary, it was back in the middle of 2020. And uh, we were talking about uh, the book that had been written uh, by Marcus Brotherton about his, uh, uh, his amazing journey, his amazing life, the book called Winning the War at Home. Uh, last November, Gary went home to be with the Lord, and um, he's been with him now for uh, a while. But I thought today would be an appropriate time to uh, reflect and remember uh, Gary's amazing legacy. So Tamara, without further ado, let's get into this now. A great conversation with Gary Bykirk today here on a special edition of The Bottom Line. Return engagement here uh, with former Green Beret medic Gary Bykirk. His story is told in the outstanding biography written by Marcus Brotherton called Blaze of Light, the inspiring true story of Green Beret medic Gary Bykirk, Medal of Honor recipient, one of uh, only a few who are still with us and uh, grateful to have the time to uh, reflect on his life and the ministry that God has given him too. So uh, Gary Bykirk, welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. Well, thank you very much, sir. It's, uh, it's a blessing to be able to be back once again with you. 
Well, I appreciate your ministry and your testimony. And for those of you who are searching and Googling for his book, Blaze of Light, um, Bikirk is B-E-I-K-I-R-C-H. And uh, we'll just put the link at thebottomlineshow.com so you can just click over there and uh, find it. Uh, Gary, we are now, oh gosh, my goodness, let's see, 1970 to where we are 50 years. We just passed that anniversary uh, since that fateful day uh, when you basically were facing uh, just... uh, insurmountable odds. I know you shared this story the last time you were with us, but for those who might not have heard it, can you give us a kind of a condensed story of how you got to where you were and how that uh, Medal of Honor uh, wound up in your hands? Well, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I went through Green Beret Special Forces training back in the 60s, and um, in 1969, I was deployed with a, uh, a 12-man detachment of uh, Green Berets. We lived in the, in the jungles of Vietnam in the highlands, I worked with a group of people called Mountain Yards, and our 12-man team was assigned to a group of Mountain Yards, uh, a tribe called the Sedang, and we lived in a, in a, in a village with them called Doxiang. There were 2,300 Mountain Yards, and uh, in the Mountain Yard culture, anyone who was 12 years old or older was considered an adult. Each mm. person had to learn the responsibilities that were necessary for them to be able to continue as a tribe. And so uh, at that time, 12 years old meant that you were a warrior, too. So we had, we had an M60 machine gunner, um, but that was 12 years old. Oh, my we, goodness. Uh, yep. But we, uh, I was there in the tribe with the, uh, with the mountain yards, and I learned so much from living with this primitive people in primitive conditions. Uh, in the midst of that jungle, a jungle that I was definitely afraid of because of snakes and tigers and everything, not to mention mm-hmm. the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, living with the mountaineers, I was able, able to be able to learn how to live, and they created for me a home there in the jungles. Mm. Uh, developed some tremendous friendships. A very special friendship was with a mountaineered bodyguard named Deo, and he was 15 years old. And uh, our friendship developed into such a, a tremendous bond and a, and a wonderful experience. But that friendship was tested on April 1st, 1970, when our camp was surrounded by 10,000 of the enemy. Mm. And within the first hours of that battle, I was shot um, three different times. Mm. Uh, the only reason I was able to do what I did, which was to stay in the battle, help those that were wounded, uh, continue to fight, was that because Dale carried me. After the first time that I was shot, I was hit in the spine, and I couldn't walk anymore. Oh, my goodness. Uh, But Dale continued to carry me. I was shot two more times. Dale was shot once, but he still wouldn't let me go. Um, The friendship and the love that we shared gave us the strength to continue to fight. And we we heard a rocket coming in. Dale, this 15-year-old boy, rolled me over, laid on top of me, and he was killed by this explosion. Hmm. the anger, Amazing. the hurt, the guilt yeah. from that experience stayed with me throughout um, about the rest of my time in the military. Uh, and also, when I came back to the States, tried to go to college. Um, college back in the 70s was not a good place to be. I was spit right. on, called names. Mm-hmm. Um, went, to, uh, went to a place that I thought I could heal and forget about the war, which was a cave in northern New Hampshire. While I was living in that cave, I was notified I was being awarded the Medal of Honor. So I was trying to forget about the war, but I quickly right. learned I wasn't going to be able to forget because they're going to right. give me a medal now. Sure. But then, but then they, um, 
it was a process of trying to reconcile, forget about, uh, heal from the war, learn what the Medal of Honor meant, and finally come out of the cave. Let's talk about that for just a moment, because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to still process this picture here. There's only a couple hundred of you fighting against 10,000 of them, and your troops are teenagers. They're kids. They're, I mean, and you weren't exactly an old man either at this time, Gary. How old were you? I was 20, see, 23. Okay, so you, you were the elder statesman for this group, Pretty it sounds much, like. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is a, a, it's a remarkable story that's told in the book Blaze of Light. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You're in this cave now in New Hampshire. You're in the New England area. You don't really want to be around anybody. College is a lousy experience, and I'm, 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 I'm sorry you went through that, but I'm glad you brought that up because America has had kind of a love-hate relationship with the people who have gone to defend what she did, and especially um, the fact that uh, you were part of a very unpopular war that I, I remember hearing, I think it was uh, Chuck Colson or maybe Dennis Prager saying, we definitely snatched defeat from the jaws of victory when it came to the Vietnam conflict. I mean, that, and, and then for you to come back and, and to endure the insults, especially with all the trauma that you'd been through, now here you are in this cave, and yet... God is luring you out, but where was your relationship with him at this point? Well, because of some experiences in the hospital where I was um, I was going unconscious and I was dying. I literally was dying, and I knew that because I was going unconscious, and I was, I was trying to fight with all my strength going unconscious, and I was using everything that the Green Berets had taught me, everything mm -hmm. that had brought me success and enabled me to become a Green Beret. I say that I was doing hand-to-hand -hand with death. Mm -hmm. um, and death was just laughing at me, and I would, I would go unconscious again. And it's a scary experience. Uh, I'd been unconscious plenty of times before in college, but this was really different. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the times I came to, there was a chaplain that was there, and he asked me if I wanted to pray. And I told him that I didn't know how to pray. I didn't even know who to pray to. Mm. And he just said, that's okay, son. God knows how to listen. So at 23 years old, I made my first prayer. I said, God, if you're real, I need you. Mm. And because I was empty, I had no strength, nothing left inside of me. It was from an empty shell of a person. I just said, that's it. I can't fight this anymore. I'm going to die. But God, if you're real, I need you. And mm -hmm. something happened. I say that when my courage failed, my faith was born. Mm. And something happened in my heart. I knew that there was something greater than me, greater than death. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, that it cared about me. And that realization stayed with me and caused me to go on a journey when I came back from the military. And I, I was on this journey of trying to find out about this, whatever it was that was, that was real, that I knew was real, because it, it, became a, it touched my heart. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine heard a little bit about my story, asked me to do him a favor, asked me to read a book. He gave me a book, and I started reading it. I read through this Matthew, Mark, Luke, and I said, what kind of book is this? It's the same guy. And uh -huh. he said, just, just keep reading, Gary. Just keep reading. Uh -huh. So I, I got it. to John 14, and where it says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? And I said, yes, I believe in God. I met him in a hospital bed. Yeah. Believe also in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Oh. And so on July 2nd, 1972, uh, at about 3 o'clock in the morning, I realized that Jesus, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, I realized that Jesus was that God that I met in that hospital bed. Mm. So at, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I, I knelt down and I accepted Christ. Mm. Uh, so when I, but then I knew God had forgiven me, but I couldn't forgive myself yet. 
and I was still afraid to let other people into my life. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I wanted to just be alone. I wanted to try to forget about Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I went to the cave. I took a Bible with me and went into that cave, hoping to find out more about this God that now I had found. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I was in there. I, I went into the cave in September of 73. I made a prayer at that time. I said, God, you give me my life back in Vietnam. I'm giving you my life now, whatever you want for my life. That's all I want. Amen. Two weeks later, sir, I was told that I was being awarded the Medal of Honor. Mm-hmm. Two weeks after I said, God, my life is yours, he mm-hmm. gave me the Medal of Honor. Wow. Wow, what a powerful testimony from Gary Bykirk, and we're, going, we're just getting warmed up. Coming up on our first break here, Blaze of Light, the inspiring true story of Green Beret medic Gary Bykirk, Medal of Honor recipient. Uh, more things happen in this man's life by the age of 23, 24, 25 than happen to a lot of us in a lifetime. But the journey is just getting started, a brand new walk with the Lord. But what happened after that is truly remarkable. We'll talk about that with Gary Bykirk in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Okay. Gary Bykirk is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. He's such a delight to talk to, which is why we were just chatting during the break here. And uh, uh, this is a very serious subject. I, I don't want to make light of this uh, subject material that's covered in the book called Blaze of Light, the inspiring true story of Green Beret medic Gary Bykirk, Medal of Honor recipient. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marcus Brotherton, New York Times bestselling author, was the guy who wrote your story. Did you find him? Did he find you? How did the book come to, to about well, there was a, mut- uh, a mutual friend of ours that had contacted Marcus. Uh, I had no idea who he was, but this friend pitched a story for an idea to uh, an idea for a story to Marcus. Marcus said, "Well, I'm not really interested. Doesn't sound like I'm interested in that at this time." So then, um, this friend said, "Well, let me tell you about this other guy that I know," and he told him my story. Mm. And at that time, I was still going through um, chemo for uh, stage three colon cancer. Mm. And my wife and I, for years, had, when people would hear our story about the cave and about living in the woods and all the things that I took my family through, they would say, you ought to tell your story. But we never really felt it was time. But after my last battle with cancer, both my wife and I felt, maybe it's time. And right then, Marcus called me out of the blue. um, Interesting. And just said, hey, I heard about you. Would you be interested in telling your story to somebody? Mm -hmm. And... um, I said, wow, this must be definitely a God thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. It's, everything about your story has just God's hand all over it. And the book Blaze of Light has now been out, and it's ministering to people all over the world. Um, Gary, as you came back out of your, uh, you, you came back from Vietnam, 
in the cave, get out of the cave, go get the Medal of Honor, back in the cave. Um, at some point, your family then starts to develop. Um, you personal life is growing and everything. And yet you, like many Vietnam veterans, uh, dealing with the scars, especially the emotional scars of what you'd been through, in addition to the physical ones, too. Talk about what that is like. I mean, I realize it's a horrible question to say, hey, what was your PTSD like after Vietnam? <laughs> but but but, I, but I, I, I'm sure there are some ways you can describe it, because the Vietnam vets, from what I understand, were the first generation who actually talked about this. The guys from World War II, Korea, things like that, the other conflicts, they just kind of kept it to themselves and uh, maybe drank it away or worked it away or whatever. The, it seems like the Vietnam veteran, your generation was the first group that said, we gonna, we got to talk about this because it really is impacting us and our families. Yes, and the first people that we talked to was we um, was ourselves because uh, back in the 70s we started rap groups. Um, and it was just a, a, a forum where we could share. Um, you see, because when I went to the cave, I went in there to you know, to try to heal, thinking that if I could just forget about the hurt, forget about the war, um, I would get better. But mm -hmm. I realized that forgetting wasn't getting better. Getting better was finding someone who would come into that cave and listen to you, who would love you. And for me, that person was not only God, but it was this young lady that I met down in Lancaster, New Hampshire, a young lady. She was 19 years, 18 years old, and fell in love with her, asked her to marry me, and she said, okay, but you got to come out of the cave. <laughs> so so I, I, because of my love for her, but more importantly, her love for me and her willingness mm. to come into that cave, even though she didn't come into the literal cave, she right. says that, Gary, I've been into a lot of emotional caves with you over the 45 years that we've been married, and mm. she still comes into my cave when I feel I like it. just retreating. Mm -hmm. But the, for me, the, the PTSD was that because of the anger and the hurt and the guilt that I've felt so much, for me, the best thing to do to control that, I didn't re resort to alcohol or drugs or acting out. For me, the best thing to do was just to shut down. I flipped mm -hmm. the switch, I shut the door, and I wouldn't allow anybody inside. Uh, my feeling, my belief was that if I don't feel, I can't get hurt. Mm -hmm. So don't let anybody in. Now you mm -hmm. can imagine what it's like to be married to somebody feeling yeah. that way. It's only by right. the grace of God that she stayed with me because mm. it took a lot of love and a lot of patience on her part and a lot of the forgiveness and grace of God to allow me to begin to let her into my caves. And what I found out was I had the experience of finding someone who could listen to me, not understand. There's no way that she, she was only an 18-year-old girl when I was in mm. Vietnam. There's no way she could understand what I went through. But she didn't have to because she just needed to care. She mm. needed to cry with me. She needed to hurt with me. And that's what brought me out of the cave and enabled me to heal. And the journey was not easy. Mm -hmm. From the cave, even though we didn't live in a cave, we moved up into central Maine. And we bought a, I bought a 20-acre plot of land with an old hunting camp. And with two kids, we lived out in the, in the woods we, uh, with no running water, no electricity. Mm. Mm -hmm. My wife cooked, we cooked on a wood stove. She said, Gary, there's not even any latrine here. What are we going <laughs> to add an outhouse? I said, uh -huh. we dig a hole. That's what we did in Vietnam. Right. So, oh, why? So for, matter of fact, my wife says the nicest gift I ever gave her, because in the winter it got pretty tough going out and digging a hole and going to the bathroom mm -hmm. in the woods in mm -hmm. Maine. She said the nicest gift I ever gave her was when I came back from this little town in Norway, 
and I came back with a little blue camping toilet with blue bags. She said, that's the best <laughs> gift I've ever given her. We had oh. two kids at that time, Roger, but uh-huh. my, young, my oldest daughter remembers it as kind of like our little house on the prairie. Uh-huh. But uh, it was a great experience for her, but still, she was hurt by my my inability to, to let myself feel. I loved my kids, but I didn't know how to love them. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to let them inside of me. As mm-hmm. an example, at, at, um, when she started school in Maine, she came back with a, a Holly Hobby lunchbox, and she was so excited. And I said, you got to put that back. She said, why? And I said, kids in Vietnam didn't have lunch bags. You can use a, mm-hmm. you can use a brown bag. Mm-hmm. For Christmas, she wanted one of those Barbie heads where you could do permanence and makeup and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I told her no. Um, kids in Vietnam played with just links from M60 machine gun bullets. You don't need a, a toy like that. Uh, and she remembers that, and I remember it and the hurt that it caused her. So on her 16th birthday, I went online and I bought a Holly Hobby lunchbox and a Barbie head. And I gave mm. it to her on her 16th birthday because mm. by then I had healed enough to, to understand mm-hmm. what damage and hurt I had caused my, my children mm. and my wife. Wow, Gary Beikirk's story is so amazing. I, I'm tearing up here just listening to that story about you and your daughter, and I, I'm grateful that you're sharing your story now. The book is called Blaze of Light, the inspiring true story of Green Beret medic Gary Beikirk, Medal of Honor recipient, written by Marcus Brotherton. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I, I love the, fa- the, the, the fact, Gary, that in your life story, you talk about having an encounter with God, having an encounter with Jesus, placing your faith in the Trinity, and then having to literally walk through the valley of the shadow of death through the PTSD, through the putting your world back together, you know, feel, just the ability to feel. And let's not forget, too, you mentioned this to me during the break, and I, I'd forgotten this from our previous conversation. In addition to everything you were going through, were you teaching middle school during this little house in the prairie phase, or was that after? Well, at the time, uh, in the little house in the prairie, I was, in this, I was an associate pastor of a small church in... Um, Norway, South Paris, Maine. Okay. Um, I can imagine what it's like to have an associate pastor that lives out in the woods. You know, mm-hmm. I, I learned quickly <laughs> that I learned quickly that I wasn't called to be a pastor, but I loved uh-huh. working with the kids. I used okay. to take the kids and we'd go hikes into the three, four days hikes into the mountains. I loved working with the young people, mm-hmm. and I think that was because my experience with Dale, my 15-year-old, he had taught me so much about what a 15-year-old was capable of. Uh, mm-hmm. A love beyond belief, caring for somebody more than themselves. And my belief was that if this 15-year-old boy could do it, other young people could do it too. So I started working with young people to try to instill in them the same values of love and caring for others more than yourself that they taught me. And eventually I decided that um, I wanted to go into school counseling. So I went back and went to graduate school and got a degree in counseling, and I ended up working 33 years as a middle school counselor, staying Mm -hmm. with that 12, 13, 14-year-old age group. Mm -hmm. Tremendous, tremendous challenges. But um, the the passion that I had for making a difference in their life because of the difference that they all made in my life enabled me to go in there every single day. Mm. 
Beautiful, beautiful testimony from Gary Bykirk today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're going to take a quick break and come back with a couple more minutes of conversation. The book is called Blaze of Light, the inspiring true story of Green Beret medic Gary Bykirk, Medal of Honor recipient. Link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. More in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Gary Bykirk is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. B-E-I-K-I-R-C-H is how you spell his last name. If you're Googling with us at home, the book is called Blaze of Light, Courage for Battle, Faith for Crisis, the inspiring true story of Green Beret medic Gary Bykirk, Medal of Honor recipient. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, some rather heady endorsements for this book. And, of course, I have to ask the obvious question. Since Gary Sinise is one of the guys who's recommending that, will there be a feature-length film about what you're doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We're, I'm still trying to get used to the idea that there's a book out. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, help us understand what the Medal of Honor is and what it really means. Because I think for some people, it's like, oh, Purple Heart, Medal of Honor, good for you. You got that in the military. Uh, you're in pretty rare company with the Medal of Honor, are you not, Gary? Yes, there's only 69 of us that are alive from all wow. wars. The, the mm -hmm. oldest one um, is about 98, I believe, Mr. Coolidge. He lives down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Amazing to, to get that. When it happened to you at such a young age and with everything that, that you have experienced now, looking back, when you look at that medal, what does it mean to you? Well, I first started learning about that when I was in the, in the cave and I was praying, God, what does this mean? Why me? Um, how am I going to make this a part of my life? And I came to understand um, very early that the medal is not about me. Um, the medal is is not about any one person who did any one thing on any one day. The honor that comes with the Medal of Honor is that it's bigger than one person. It's bigger mm -hmm. than one act on one day. It represents millions and millions of men and women who have served and every day served this country, sacrificed for this country. That's what this medal represents. It represents that there's a different way to live your life, caring for others more than yourself. It represents the values of courage, commitment, sacrifice, integrity, citizenship, patriotism. These are the values that are critical to us as a nation. Citizenship, especially um, at this July 4th time, uh, I'd like to share the message that this, this country, we live in a freedom that was gained to us, given to us, not just by military, but men and women, whether, men and women, men and women, whether they were in civilian clothes, military, school, 
people have made this country great because each of us have the ability to show courage, commitment, and sacrifice to one another. The Medal of Honor is about men and women who love something greater than themselves mm-hmm. and who sacrifice for that love. Greater love hath no man than he lay down his life for his friends. And that sacrifice was evident in the fact that what you experienced, Gary Bykirk, with your uh, encounter at Vietnam and having your uh, your 15-year-old best buddy who was there who was willing to take literally all of the uh, the ammo that was coming your way into his body and gave his life for you so that now you have been able to give your life for others, for your wife, for your children, for the kids you worked with as a school counselor for low these many years, and now still sharing the story and still uh, processing life. We've got about 60 seconds left in our time together, Gary. Uh, what is your what is your hope, not only for this project, but God has still given you breath in your lungs, obviously, uh, um, in these uh, later years in your life, and you've you've lived so much. What is your hope for your life as God continues to direct your steps, even in this new season? Well, I, a friend once told me, he said, Gary, share your message, and if necessary, use words. Mm, and, mm-hmm. and I hope that um, that our life, that my wife and I have lived these 45 years, that we continue to, to live, that through people knowing us and watching our life, if not that, then maybe through the words of this book, that people will be able to find words of faith, words of hope, and words of love by our actions. That's the message we want to try to share, that there's a God who wants to walk with us, who wants to come into the caves that we so often seek when we hurt. He wants to come into those caves, love us, bring us out of the cave, and walk with us to live a life of significance. And significance comes by loving others, more than yourself. Mm. Powerful words from a man who who knows what that life of significance is all about when God elevates you to that platform. Gary Bykirk, the uh, subject of a brand new book called Blaze of Light, the inspiring true story of Green Beret medic Gary Bykirk, Medal of Honor recipient, written by Marcus Brotherton. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Gary, thanks again for being so generous with your time and for sharing your story. Uh, God's richest blessings to you and your lovely wife and family as you uh, celebrate and also celebrate uh, the gift of life that God has given to you and the ministry that he's given to you as well. Thanks for being with us today here on the program. Thank you, sir. And that concluded my conversation with Gary Bykirk, Vietnam's veterans battle with faith and PTSD. Uh, Gary's life is chronicled in the book written by Marcus Brotherton called Winning the War at Home, a Vietnam veterans battle with faith and PTSD. Uh, Gary served his country very valiantly for many, many years, and especially uh, as he finished up his his tour of duty, uh, his faith journey is so remarkable and so inspiring. And uh, it was in November of 2021 that Gary went home to be with the Lord. And we're, uh, we're grateful to have had the opportunity to get to know him. Um, I encourage you to look into Gary's book, uh, the, the book Winning the War at Home, um, a Vietnam veteran's battle with faith and PTSD, because this is a guy who got thrust into leadership. He got thrust into a war that many people felt was unjust. And then when he came home from that war, he was confused. Like a lot of Christians who are serving in the culture right now, who feel like we're doing battle uh, against the spiritual forces of darkness in this society. We are doing our level best to witness our faith in Christ to the next generation. And yet the culture keeps attacking us. I encourage you not to lose heart. Remember, the battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's with the spirits and the principalities. It's a spiritual warfare that ultimately can wear us down. If you need to take the time to rest more, please do so. 
every every health and nutrition guide I've seen has asked the basic question, are you drinking 64 ounces of water every day and getting eight hours of sleep? Those are just basics. But the battle is already won because Jesus Christ has won the war. But we need to be loyal soldiers up until that point to demand, defend American independence and life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness from a biblical standpoint. That is the good news. And that's the bottom line.